Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for inviting us to come in today. We invite in your Holy Spirit, and we ask you to be to look over us, to teach us, to open our hearts so that your word becomes not just something we know, but something we live. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let us worship our Lord. Good morning, everybody. Keep on being filled. Be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. The command to be filled with the Spirit actually has the idea of continuously being filled in the original Greek language. We are not filled once for all, like a bucket. Instead, we are being filled constantly. The verse is translated being filled and being kept filled. The late mural Tenney once compared this to a situation of an old-time farmhouse kitchen. In the corner was a sink, and above it was a pipe, through which came a continuous stream of water from a spring outside. The water, by constantly running, kept the sink brimful with good water. In the same way, we are not to let ourselves be filled and then emptied of the Spirit like a leaky bucket, only to be refilled again later on, again and again. Rather, the Holy Spirit should flow within us constantly, and He will as we yield ourselves to the Christ's presence and that power for every day. The hope for today, do you find yourself returning to something that refreshes you momentarily but leaves you empty in the long run? Christ promises that those who come to him will receive water that springs up from within. And with us, let us sing. Our God reigns. Oh, God. 
Because we've got that mighty God that we serve, Jesus is the name above all names. Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Savior, 
Psalm 47. O clap your hands, all you peoples, shout to God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome, he is a king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Turn to Psalm 23. This is a, an apt psalm as a prayer between you and God individually. Uh, he speaks to each of us in this, of his shepherding, of his steadfastness. So as, as, can we read it together? Would you like to stand to do that? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then, there, then left there and went to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulon and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulon and of Naphtali, Beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they were fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, 
repairing their nets. And he called to them too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. And how happy he was. Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. you join me in the responsive reading. Father, be with the leaders of your flock in their needs today. Help them to interpret the gospel message with clarity and urgency, witnessing in their own lives to the teaching and the example of Christ. Fortify and encourage those among them who are fearful and confused. Be truly a father to those who have fallen away. Send your Holy Spirit in a new outpouring so that under these leaders chosen by you, the entire people of God may progress in a harmonious cooperation towards their final consummation in unity, truth, and love by, with, and in your Son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give our gifts as you call for us to give our tithes and offerings. We give them freely, but we know that all belongs to you. And, you know, you're, you're nice enough to loan them to us for a while. But you say, help others come to know me. So we ask that the gifts that we give, that you have us use Show us your wisdom on how to use them so that others, too, may enjoy the glory of being a part of your family. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. and sins without God without hope in this world then the glorious light of your gospel broke in the father stood up from his throne opened his arms as he called out my name grace irresistible drew me opened my eyes to
and the life. Jesus, you are. Yes, you are. Morning. Good morning. Show slide number one, if you would please. My sermon title this morning is The Way of Jesus. We are uh, moving on in our sermon series on the I Am's of Jesus from the Gospel of John. Last week I told you that uh, I am is God's name. It is the name he gave Moses at the burning bush. What is he saying when he says, I am? He's saying, I exist. I have always existed. From the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew Bible translated into Greek, I am is translated, I am the being one. The one who has always been the one who will always be. Slide number two, please. The context of our scripture verses this morning is the Last Supper. These are the last 48 hours of Jesus' life before he is crucified. John 14, 1 through 7. Let not your heart be troubled. This is Jesus speaking. You are trusting in God, now trust in me. There are many rooms up there where my father lives, and I am going to prepare them for your coming. When everything is ready, then I will come and get you so that you can always be with me where I am. If this were not so, I would have told you plainly, and you know where I am going and how to get there. No, we don't, said Thomas. We haven't any idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, yes, and the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. If you had known who I am, then you would have known who my Father is. 
From now on, you know him and have seen him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless your name. We thank you, Father, that through our Lord Jesus Christ, we can know you and know you intimately. Through his sacrifice, we have been made right with you in your sight. We bless your name this morning and we ask you to, through your Holy Spirit, speak your words of truth to us. Make the ink come off the page and come alive in our hearts and lives through the power of your Holy Spirit. Bless every word this morning for the exhortation of your people and for the glory of your great name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Show us uh, slide number three, if you would. Today we're going to hear the Lord Jesus asking, how well do you really want to know me? How deep do you want to go in your knowledge of me and my love? John 14, 6. There are many rooms up there where my Father lives, and I am going to prepare them for your coming. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you can always be where I am. This is Galilean wedding language. I've preached on this before. You will remember that in Jewish culture, the Galilean wedding was very unique even uh, to the, the Jewish culture. Uh, in this time, there were a lot of arranged marriages. As a matter of fact, if you're a true Jew, it was an arranged marriage. But the uh, two fathers would get together, and sometimes these children would only be 10, 12 years old. But they would uh, exchange a dowry, or what was called a bride price. They would agree on a price. But the, you're not buying a bride. What this was was an insurance policy that if anything happened to the groom, the bride would be provided for. So that's what the dowry was all about. But what's truly unique about the Galilean wedding is the betrothal that the two would make their sworn commitments to each other, but you would wait one year before the wedding feast, before the wedding consummation. You and I are in the betrothal period. We're waiting on our bridegroom to come and get us. And what's he doing? In the Galilean culture for that year, the, the groom would add on to his father's house. Sometimes you would have five generations living in one house. But he didn't go build a separate house. He added on to his father's house. And when the wedding was consummated, they moved in to dad's house. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like the gospel? Amen. When Jesus says he is the way, what does he mean? Do you realize that uh, Christians were not called Christians until Antioch? until Jesus had been ascended and the church in Jerusalem was sending out missions to all throughout the Middle East. 
in Antioch was the first time they were called Christians. Until that time, they were called the way. You read the book of Acts, and Paul says, I was persecuting the way. John 14.2, mansions in the King James. I am going away to prepare a place for you. The King James says I'm preparing mansions for you. That literally translated is dwelling places. But even better translated is rooms. I'm preparing rooms for you in my father's mansion. Show us slide four, please. Fasten your seatbelts. We're going to talk about the supernatural this morning. This is called the line. It's being constructed in Saudi Arabia. I don't know if you can see the detail here, but this is a little wharf with uh, sailboats and so forth. Here's a pier. Notice this is probably 20 stories tall. I'm going to use this to help you visualize heaven this morning. This is a smart city. Everything you need is right there. Show us uh, slide five, if you would. This is an aerial view. Okay, so you've got 20 stories of residences on each side. And look what's in the center. An atrium. This particular structure is 105 miles long. And if you're thinking, well, I wouldn't want to live at the other end because there's going to be a long trip to get to the water. Oh, no, 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 no. We have a bullet train underneath here that puts you there in a flash. Grocery stores, dry cleaners, it's all contained. What are the dimensions of heaven? From Revelations, it is 1,400 miles squared, a perfect cube. 1,400 miles east, west, north, and south, and 1,400 miles high. The entire state of Rhode Island is 1,200 square miles. 1,400 square miles in every direction. Heaven will be the grandest of grand hotels. Heaven will be your hotel. It's where you lay your head at night though I doubt we will sleep. But it is your place of residence, although you will have full access to the cosmos. But I want you to think of it as your place of residence, your condominium. Now in heaven, wrap your heads around this, so there's no gravity. 
So you say, 1,400 miles high, how do I get up there? Well, there's no gravity. You can remember what the scriptures say. Jesus said we will be like him. Jesus didn't walk on the water. Think on that a moment. What he did was he made himself zero gravity. So he walked across the water, not necessarily on it. Remember I was describing to you last week about my scuba diving adventures, and you wear a vest of which you can inject air, and you can make yourself static or neutral any depth, any height. In heaven, you will be gravity neutral. If you want to go up to the 1,000th floor of heaven, you merely think it, and you're there. Wow. That, think about it. Scripture. Philip was translated from one spot to another so that he could minister to that Ethiopian eunuch. Teleported. They didn't have the word teleported 400 years ago in King James English. He was teleported instantly. Jesus walked through walls. We will be like him. And you remember when Peter was sinking, the scriptures say, and Jesus instantly reached his hand. Teleport. Show us, oh, we're there, we're there, slide five. But imagine a garden atrium 1,400 miles high. How, how do, what concept of heaven? I think of the Alps of Switzerland, the fjords of Norway, Venice, the Greek islands, the Black Forest, Yosemite, Niagara Falls. But the Lord's telling us, whatever you've seen, this is manifolded much, much better. But is heaven your home? When you, when your dream, what, what, what's your dream life of home? Who's there in your heavenly home? Who's there? My twin girls are there. I got to see them for maybe two minutes before they died. My mom and dad, my favorite aunt, grandparents that I never really knew, great-grandparents that never had a chance to meet. I have a picture of my great-grandmother on my father's side. And her smile was so angelic, there's no doubt in my mind, she knew Jesus. I also have a tintype of my great-great-aunt and uncle. He was a Baptist minister. We'll have stories to tell. But he is seated and his wife is standing beside him and she has the most amazing smile. Now mind you, this is the 1800s and you didn't smile in photographs in the 1800s. Why? Because people would think you were simple. You didn't smile for fear people would think you were an idiot. You were supposed to be somber and sober when you took a photograph. But she's beaming. The joy of the Lord. 
What will we do in heaven? Not sure about you, but I personally plan to spend my first 1,000 years dancing before the throne of Almighty God. The next 1,000 just hugging on my Jesus. And perhaps for uh, a century or so after that, I'd like to do coffee with the likes of Moses, Elijah, King David, St. Paul, Augustine, Eusebius, C.S. Lewis, Jim Elliott, and my favorite seminary professor, Paul Hackett. He taught me so many things. Such a wonderful man. And I want to meet the brother or sister that I never knew in this life. My mother miscarried when I was six years of age. So I have a sibling I've never met. So many people to catch up with. So many friends who have gone on before me. When Jesus says, I am the way, he means I am your way home. Do you dream of home? Are those dreams vivid? Are they super technical? If your childhood was wonderful and filled with joy and contentment, chances are you answer yes. If your childhood was troubled, chaotic, lonely, fearful, you probably think more of nightmares. But for many years, I had a reoccurring dream. And I've told you often of my scuba diving adventures, but this was such a vivid and real dream, I would wake up thinking, have I really been there before? I was confused. It, the dream was so real, it's like, have I been to that place, and I just can't remember all the details. Perhaps the dream was a collage of all the wonderful places I've been. The wonderful places I've seen. But I often have questioned why it was so real. And while I was preparing this sermon, the Lord answered that question for me. He said, my heaven is infinitely better than the best you have seen or even the best that you have dreamed. Uh, those people who have been pronounced clinically dead and say they have visited heaven were given a glimpse of heaven before they came back to life. Many have said there were colors there that I've never seen. They were so vibrant. Colors I've never seen. Your resurrected body will be given eyes to discern spectrums of light and color you cannot even yet imagine. The scriptures say the uh, streets of heaven are made of gold. Again, I'm going to tax your imagination. You've heard of transparent aluminum. I say the streets of heaven are transparent gold. They'll have a gold cast that you can see through. How else do you explain a heaven 1,400 miles high? I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. Jesus says, there is no truth other than me. For I am the creator and embodiment of truth. John 18, 36. Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? And then Jesus answered, I am not an earthly king. If I were, my followers would have fought for me when I was arrested by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate replied, but you are a king. Yes, Jesus said, I was born for that purpose. And I came to bring truth to the world. All who love the truth are my followers. Pilate replied, quid est veritas? What is truth? Pilate is actually scorning Christ here. His reply is scornful rhetoric for he knows what Jesus is saying, but he does not believe. He does not believe there's such a thing as absolute truth. We're plagued with that today. Our culture. Nothing's changed in this world. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. Every past empire, every culture has come up with this idea that truth is what you want it to be. Truth is relative. You want to hear some truth? Here's some truth. Hebrews 1, verse 3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Exact imprint. In the Greek, that word is character. It's where we get our English word character. And it literally means exact image. In other words, when we encounter Jesus, he becomes our spectacles. He becomes our corrected vision. We look at Jesus and we see the glory of God. He is the exact image of the Father. But let's explore some Hebrew thought this morning. And I know what you're thinking. Hebrew thought. You're saying to yourself, now wait a minute, the New Testament was written in Greek, not Hebrew. Actually, there's uh, quite a bit of evidence that it was also written in Aramaic. But uh, truly, the New Testament we have is based on the original Greek. Aramaic is an informal Hebrew. It's the Hebrew of the streets. John MacArthur, bless his heart, has called it vulgar Hebrew. I think he was a little overdramatic there. But it was the Hebrew of the streets. This is what Jesus spoke in first century Palestine. It's what everybody spoke in first century Palestine. And I'm sure you're thinking, okay, then why was the New Testament written in Greek? Simple answer. It was the language of the day. Much like there's... Few nations on this earth that don't speak English today. It was the global language of its day. 
But uh, John 14, 6, from the Brit Hadashah, that is the Hebrew New Testament. And uh, the literal translation of Brit Hadashah is the New Testament in blood, the New Covenant in blood. God bless our Hebrew brothers. They got a few things figured out. Here's some fascinating thought for you. When Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Messiah, states here in John 14, he is the way, the truth, and the life, what he is saying, again, Hebrew thought, he is the beginning and the ending of their true fulfillment. In Yeshua Jesus himself, that it is in him that we actually behold the way, the truth, and the life of God. It is in Yeshua Jesus that we find fulfillment that our hearts truly seek. In Jesus we find the means of drawing near to the Heavenly Father. Show us slide six, please. The literal translation from the Hebrew New Testament of John 14, 6 is this. No man comes to the Father by any means other than by my outstretched hand. You saw in the slide before. This phrasing is used throughout the Pentateuch and it describes God's mighty power in delivering Israel from the clutches of Egypt. What's our Egypt today? We're, we're really living in Egypt today. We live in a sinful culture that wants nothing to do with God. And Jesus, just as the Passover lamb in the time of Egypt, is today our Passover lamb. Jesus states that no man can come to the Father without the means of his own hand. This is a thought that we typically don't get in Protestant preaching. I mean, when you think about it, the Greek says Jesus is the means, but the Hebrews carry that thought further. Okay, if Jesus is the means to the Father, then he is also Jesus' outstretched hand. That phrasing is throughout the Pentateuch, God's mighty right hand, his outstretched arm, his outstretched hand. That's Hebrew thought. The word truth in Hebrew is sarar. Sorry, guys, let's go back. Uh, slide six. Hebrew is uh, fascinating. Oh, I'm sorry. I messed you up. The Hebrew script. Uh, slide seven. There we go. Hebrew is a fascinating language. This letter is called a resh. This is a resh. 
This letter is Shin. Do you realize that every letter in Hebrew is a word? And every letter has meaning. You remember in Matthew, Jesus said, not a jot or a tittle will pass away from my word. What's a jot and what's a tittle? You could consider this a tittle. A jot would be the smallest of Hebrew letters, which is a yod. A yod is maybe this size right here. Jesus is saying not even the smallest letter or a tittle. This is a kadesh. It tells you how to pronounce that letter. But these are tittles. They tell you how to pronounce. Not one small letter will pass away of my word. Show us slide number eight, please. This is the Hebrew word. You've heard Jews, and you may not have picked up on it, but you've heard this expression several times, I'm sure. Lachaim. That means to life. It's actually kind of a toast. Lachaim. To life. This word is life. Actually, here's the, uh, the yod, the smallest letter in the Hebrew. Life. Do you realize the Aramaic word for life is identical to the Hebrew, haim, which means physical life, but more specifically, it's, it's like uh, shalom. It has almost more meaning than we can comprehend. In Hebrew, Hayam means physical life. More specifically, the quality of your physical life, but even more specifically, the quality of your spiritual life. And now remember, Aramaic is the language that Jesus spoke and preached. When you add the Hebrew letter Aleph, life, guess what it means? Jesus is life. He is the controlling factor of your life. He controls the beginning and ending of your life and the quality of it. One letter changes the meaning drastically. C.S. Lewis wrote a brilliant essay entitled The Problem with X. And what he's talking about is the X factor. The problem with X. Webster defines the X factor as a variable in a given situation that can have the most significant impact on an outcome. Lewis points out that most of us tend to blame others for our problems. I won't ask for a show of hands. Those who create the problems in our lives, those who negatively affect the quality of our lives, we tend to think of as X factors. It may be the wife who nags, the husband who is lazy, a belligerent mother-in-law, a son who drinks too much, a boss who's a tyrant. We tell ourselves that if only a 
turn of good fortune would intervene, our lives would improve dramatically. The mother-in-law would move 300 miles away. Life would improve. Or if God would just change these people, change these X factors, our little world would be righted. Our little world would be wonderful. Quote C.S. Lewis, God has made it a rule for himself that he won't alter people's character by force. He can and will alter them, but only if those people will let him. In that way, he has really and truly limited his power. Sometimes we wonder why he has done so, or even wish that he had not. But apparently, God thinks it worth doing. He would rather have a world of free beings with all the rest than a world of people who do right, like machines, because they can't do anything else. Lewis summarizes his entire essay by postulating this. You and I, we, we are the X factors. If only we would allow God to change us, the wife wouldn't nag, the boss would mellow out, the husband would find motivation to be responsible, and the son would stop drinking. Notice I didn't mention mother-in-laws. That, that tends to be more in the realm of the miraculous. I preach to myself first, but I have a wonderful mother-in-law. I do. When we allow Jesus to become our X factor, he who maintains control of our lives, then and only then do we start to live. When we realize our ultimate destination, when, we, when our eternal destiny comes into view, then and only then does life make sense. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. We should have already proved to ourselves that living for our own interest is a poor substitute for true fulfillment and happiness. What we truly want is his life, Jesus' life living through us. That life which is not centered on us and only available in Christ. E.H. Peterson. Christian spirituality is living in the mature wholeness of the gospel. And that means experiencing everything in our lives as an act of faith. Remember, without faith, it is impossible to please God. When we live a life of faith, we assume that true spirituality is when God is always doing something on our behalf, which he is. And typically, before we know it. Therefore, the task is not to get God to do something we think he needs to do, but become aware that he's already done it. And he will continue doing it. How do we respond to this? How do we participate in this? How do we delight in this? I suggest we do so with great joy. Can I hear an amen? 
No man comes to the Father except through me. Do we truly know the Father's heart? There's a, um, a preacher, I won't name names, but I, I think he's on to something. He says, uh, we feel like we know the Lord Jesus pretty well. We read the Gospels, we hear his quotes. Uh, through the Apostle Paul, we know much about the Holy Spirit and his working. But how much do we know, better yet, how much do we understand about the Father? We start our prayers, Father, please do this, please do that. And we end our prayer in Jesus' name. But how well do we truly knew, know the Father? The last word in John 14, 6, the last word of importance is Father. That Greek word is pater. But there's a word in Aramaic that transcends any Greek word for Father, and that name is Avi. The word Avi is just one letter added to Chaim. And what it means, what a marvelous, marvelous meaning. In the old Galilean dialect, which was Aramaic, it means my beloved father. How often do you address your father God as my beloved? He loves it. He totally loves it when you refer to him as your beloved father. The most affectionate term for father in Greek is Abba, which means daddy. But the old Galilean dialect raises the bar quite a bit. Beloved. Beloved. He who is worthy of praise and adoration. When we allow Jesus to be the master and commander of our faith, when we allow him to bind himself to us as our X factor, our mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual life accelerates. And then when we allow him to be, become our X factor, then we will know Father God as our beloved. My question to you today is, do you want to know your Father God as beloved? Do you want to know him as Daddy God? Do you wish to not only be with him, but in him? And not just for a better life, not just for a better eternity, but simply because you love him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we would know you better. We would know you intimately, so intimately that calling you our beloved would just fall off our tongue. And Father, we thank you for your Lord Jesus. Uh, what would we do without our Jesus? How would we visualize you? How would we know anything about you? without our Lord Jesus. We praise you this morning, Father, and we ask by your Holy Spirit 
that you would draw us closer to our Lord Jesus so we can see you better. Know the immensity of your grace, the immensity of your love. It is truly unfathomable, but we're willing to try. We're willing to try to comprehend. Draw us closer to our Lord Jesus so we may draw closer to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Show us slide number 10, please. My benediction this morning is from Matthew 14. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. And he shouted, Save me, Lord. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? One of the first things that strikes us about the men and women of Scripture is how disappointingly heroic and utterly human they are. Abraham lied, Jacob cheated, Moses murdered, David committed adultery, Peter blasphemed. Yet they are remarkable, each one, in their ability to live Godward. God word to live their lives toward and in God all the details of their lives included God's direction to them and his action in them when we are conscious of participating in what God is doing and responding to him in joyous obedience that is when we are most alive when we are the best of what God has called us to be and to do. Blessings to you this morning. Oh
us pray. Mm. Heavenly beloved Father, we ask that these words that we've heard today, that they become part of us, that it's not something we remember, but something we live, to know that you're always there, you're always trustworthy, your hand is always out for us to reach to. So Lord, we ask that we remember this, that we live this, We do this in Jesus' name, amen.